Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today. I want to begin by reading you this little, uh, it's not even a story, but it's something that I came across. It says that a soldier was fighting over in Iraq, and he received a letter from his girlfriend that said that she was breaking up with him. She also asked him to send the picture of her that she had given to him when he went because she needed it for her new bridal announcement. The soldier was heartbroken. He told his friends of his terrible situation. So the whole platoon got together and brought all of their pictures of their girlfriends and put them in a box and gave them to him. So he put her picture in the box with the rest, along with a note that said this. I'm sending back your picture uh, to you. I'm sending back your picture to you. Please remove it and send back the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you are. <laughs> now, you know, it's been said that revenge is sweet, and it is. Uh, I think every one of us at some point in our lives have either wanted to or have um, gotten revenge in some way. Um, we may have gone to court and sued somebody that had wronged us, or we've been through a divorce settlement where we've gotten the upper end of that and the better part, part of that. Or some sort of road rage where somebody cut us off at a stoplight and we were able to zoom around them and cut them back off. And it just made us feel so good, didn't it? I mean, it just makes you feel good. Revenge really is sweet whenever it takes place. Now, the truth is this, and I think most of you know this as well as I do, that getting even with somebody and trying to um, get back at them, get revenge on them, will not only destroy your Christian witness, But it will also destroy you. Um, The desire for revenge, the anger, the hatred that goes along with it will just consume you and eat you up if you allow it to. Now, people have told me, and I've had people actually say this to me, well, the Bible teaches that it's okay to get revenge. The Bible teaches that it's okay to get even the score. And they'll quote this passage It goes like this, as in Matthew chapter 5, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they'll go back into the Old Testament where that was actually stated and bring out the Old Testament law. It says, see there, the Bible teaches an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If somebody wrongs you, you have the right to get them back. You have the right to make it even. But is it? Is that really what it's teaching? Well, today what I want to do is this. I want to answer that question, and I also want to talk to you as believers on how to deal with the desire to get even. How do you deal with this desire to, when you seek revenge or you want to get back at somebody because of something that they've done to you? So we're going to be talking about that today. Now let me just tell you up front, the answer to this all hinges on your willingness to let go of certain rights that you think that you have certain rights or expectations that you feel that are yours. You see, whenever somebody wrongs us and we get to the point of hating that person, we want to get back at them, we want to get revenge, we want to make things right, we want to get even. When it gets to that point, here's what has happened. They have cut you to the core and they have done something that has wronged you in an area where you feel that you have the right the right to have this or to do this, and they've prevented it in some way. 
And because of that, the pain is much deeper. Because of that, it hurts worse. And because of that, you can think up in your, your, your mind as a human being all kinds of ways to get back at them. We've all done it. I've done it myself. We will try to get back at people and try to uh, make things right because they have somehow stepped into our life in such a way that they have taken from us a right that we felt that we had. Let me read you this. It says, In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the icy waters below. News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't technology problem. It wasn't radar malfunction or even thick fog. The cause of the, the, cause of the accident was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to the news reports, neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. And by the time they came to their senses, it was too late and they crashed. Now, here's a perfect example. I have the right to be here. I have the right to be going in this direction. You don't have the right. And so neither one of them was willing to give up their right, you see. Now, we go through life with these perceived rights that we have, things that we believe that we are entitled to. And when those things are infringed upon or in some way violated, we become enraged. And that pain, that hurt is, is so deep. It's deeper than anything else because that's what drives us to want to get even. That's what drives us to do things that as a Christian we would never think of doing. But yet in that moment, because you've been wronged in that way and so deeply, yeah, you will seek to get even and you will seek to make things right. And the desire to get even is the result of certain rights being violated. Now, let's jump right in because I want to show you and talk to you about some of the rights that I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to have to do some explaining here, so just bear with me, because I'm using the word rights because there are things that we think that we are entitled to, things that we think that are ours. I want you to take that, and I want you to examine that and think, well, is that true of you? And then I want you to compare it with the Scripture. I want you to compare it with the Scripture and ask yourself this, does God agree with me on this? Do I have this right? Because... The whole concept here is this, that if I'm going to get past these feelings of wanting to get revenge and wanting to get even with people, then I've got to begin to give up some of these rights or these expectations that I have, these things that I think that are, are mine. Because when I hang on to those things, this is why I react the way that I do. So if you can deal with the rights that you think you have and begin to let go, because you're going to see today that God's saying to you, you don't really have the rights, not, not the what you think you do. So let's jump right in because there are five things I'm going to show you today. Number one is this. You need to let go of the right to be treated with respect. You need to let go of the right to be treated with respect. Now, a few weeks back, we preached a sermon, or I preached a sermon on, on, on respect and how that as a Christian, you ought to be showing respect to everybody, but especially to other believers and the various ways that we can do that. 
But the fact is, a lot of times we're not treated with respect. Respect is not something that you demand. I've told you that. You can't demand respect. You have to command it, so to speak, by the way you treat others and the way you live your life. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to give you that respect. And as soon as you think that somebody has violated that and disrespected you because you feel like that was due you, you had the right to be respected, then you're going to respond in an ungodly way, and in most cases to seek revenge. Let me show you the scripture. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5 for, the, for this message here today. So just continue along here in Matthew 5 with me. Verses 38 and 39. It says, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, this is one of those confusing scriptures. It has led to a lot of differing opinions about a lot of different things. Um, First of all, what is it talking about here? Well, it's talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, let me explain something. When this was stated back in the law in the Old Testament, it wasn't given as a directive that you have to do this. It was given as a limitation on what you could do. And see, this is the difference because this passage has been distorted and misused many times by people. You see, the Jews were notorious for doing something. They were notorious for uh, if, if somebody stole something from you, you go out and kill one of their family members. I mean, in other words, they would go way overboard. That was just the, the society they lived in. So when the, New Te- when the Old Testament law came into being, God said, these are the parameters that the crime and the punishment need to fit. The punishment that you dole out to somebody because of a crime they've committed needs to fit the crime. It can't be excessive. Now, what we have done, and this is what the Jews in Jesus' day had done, is they take that Old Testament teaching and they distort it to apply to revenge. That you're okay by seeking revenge on somebody that has wronged you. So when Jesus comes along into this whole teaching today, is him going down one by one the different rights they think they have, the different reasons why they would seek revenge, and he's saying to them, you don't have that. He said, you have heard it said in the Old Testament that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but you've misunderstood it. He said, I'm telling you this. He said, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I'm I'm teaching you the opposite of what you've always thought, that you've always thought it was okay for you to seek revenge and make things right and get even. I'm telling you it is not all right for you to do that. And here's the first illustration. Now, what does he mean here in this passage about being slapped on one cheek and turning the other cheek? I've heard this... I've heard this used to talk against self-defense, all kind of various teachings on this. But basically, it's it's just this. It's a slap on the cheek. It's a sign of disrespect. If you've ever seen an old movie, you've seen the guys get slapped on the cheek with a glove, and the next morning they're out dueling. They demand satisfaction. They demand to get even. They demand to make things right because they have been disrespected. This is what he has in mind here. He says, look, if somebody does something that you would consider a slap on the cheek, rather than going after them, why don't you just turn the other cheek? Rather than seeking revenge, just turn the other cheek. 
Now, what would be an example of something maybe where what we would consider a slap on the face? Well, maybe they've called you a name. They've called you a name. They've disrespected you. They've humiliated you in front of your friends. That's disrespect. Maybe they have lied about you, a blatant lie that everybody believes, and they've disrespected you in that sense. Maybe they've insulted you. Maybe they've cheated you. Maybe they've uh, borrowed something and refused to bring it back, and you feel like you're, you're, they've disrespected you. And so because of that, you are responding now in a vengeful way to get even or to make things right. Let me read you the story. It says, when he was a, a young attorney, Abraham Lincoln was once approached by a man who insisted on bringing a lawsuit for $2.50 against a poor debtor who couldn't pay him. Lincoln tried to talk him out of it, but this man wanted his revenge. He was determined he was going to do it. Finally, Lincoln took the case and he charged the man $10 in legal fees. Lincoln then gave half the money to the poor debtor who in turn paid the $2.50. And believe it or not, the vengeful man was satisfied. Paid $10 in order to get satisfaction for $2.50. That's a prime example of what we're talking about here. He felt like he had been disrespected. He felt like this debtor had taken something that belonged to him and shown disrespect and he wanted to get even. And the very foolishness of it. But yet this is what we're talking about here. And what Jesus is teaching the people there that day, he says, look, when people disrespect you by whatever means, don't go trying to get even. Because you know what? You may think that you have the right to be respected, but in reality you don't. Guys, you've got to hear this, okay? Because you think that you have the right to be respected. Now, I have taught you that we ought to respect people and they ought to respect you. As believers, that's what we should do, but not everybody's going to do that. And you have no right to expect that everybody's going to show you that. And when they do, you're going to take it personally. When they do disrespect you, you're going to become angry. When they do disrespect you, you're going to want to get even. And God says, don't do it. If that's the case, then just turn the other cheek. Let it go. Now, before I move to the second one, let me just address this one thing out of this passage. The idea of self-defense. This is totally out of off target here, but I want to address it anyway for just a moment. People have used this passage about turning the other cheek to say that, well, you self-defense, arming yourself, defending yourself is not a biblical principle. I had a pa- not a pastor, but a, a professor. He was a, a professor in Florida back when I was in Bible college who believed that. He was very much um, against self-defense and taught it was against, he would use this passage to back up the claim of self-defense. But you can't really, you can't really defend that biblically. The Bible does not teach against defending yourself. The Bible teaches against retaliation. That's two different things. If somebody comes into your home and wants to harm you, you have every right to defend yourself. Let me show you a passage. Jesus had sent the disciples out on a missions trip, and he told them, he said, don't take anything with you. I'm going to be there, and I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So they did. Very successful. Many people came to Christ. 
Sometime later, he sends them out again. And this time he sends them and he tells them to take money with them, whereas before they weren't supposed to. And so let me read it to you. It just is here in Luke chapter 22, verse 36. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why would he say that? Your cloak, we're going to see here in just a minute, the importance of a person's cloak, the value of it. He says, if you don't have one, then sell your cloak and buy one. Because now you're going out into the mission field again, only this time it's going to be different. This time you're going to encounter things you didn't encounter the first time. And so this whole idea of the Bible being against self-defense really isn't backed up, if you will, in Scripture. Just a side note, okay? You can talk about that and deal with that later on. But I want to move on talking about this issue of revenge. What is another right that Jesus addresses here that you and I have got to give up in order for us not to feel like we have to get revenge or to get even or to be angry or to hate somebody? All of these things go hand in hand. Here's the second one. You need to let go of your right to be comfortable. Let go of your right to be comfortable. Again, we go back to Matthew 5, looking in verse 40. He says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, in the original, what he's basically saying, if anyone wants to take your tunic, which was the undergarment, he said, give them your cloak as well. Now, that's, that's important because there were laws governing a person's cloak. If you wanted to, to, if somebody were to borrow something from you and you were to hold their cloak, according to the law of the Old Testament, you could not keep it overnight. You had to give it back to them and then get it again the next day because that's what kept them warm at night. If they were poor and had nothing else to live, to, to nowhere else to go, no house to go to, they could at least huddle up in a corner somewhere and pull their cloak around them. And according to the law, you could not take it from them. They had to have it for that night. As a matter of fact, in Exodus, well, let me just show you here. It's in Exodus 22, verses 26 through 27. He says, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. Because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So this was part of the law. The cloak was very important. It's the outer garment like a robe, a coat, however you want to refer to it. So let's go back now to verse 40. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Hand over your cloak or your coat as well. Why? What is he talking about? Why would he tell these people this? Well, think about it. Somebody that's suing you over your shirt is not after your money. They just want revenge. They want to get back at you for something you've done. But a poor person has nothing else to give but the shirt on his back. He says, listen. If somebody is going to sue you and take the very shirt off of your back, and usually this was done by a wealthy person suing a poor person. They did it all the time, just to make a point. He said, if they're going to do that to you, he said, then give them the cloak too. 
Why? Well, think about it. By giving the cloak, there are a couple of things that will happen. First of all, maybe it will humiliate the person to such a degree they'll give you a shirt back. Or secondly, here's what usually happens, is that when you give them that, then you won't harbor bitterness in your heart toward them. Now listen, okay? I had a pastor who was a, uh, in, uh, when I was in college who was a uh, professor, and he was, gave us this illustration one time. He said a van came into his office, and he said, Pastor, he said, I've just gone through a horrible divorce, and my wife got a lawyer. She basically cut off all communication, wouldn't talk to me. I have you know, limited access to the children, and now we've gone to court, and she's won this uh, judgment against me. I've got to pay her 800 bucks a month in child support and alimony. He said, it's killing me. He's a pastor. I'm, I'm here today for this because I know you can't help me with that. He said, but I need relief from the hatred that I have for this woman. He said, I sit around thinking of ways to kill her. He said, I, all I want to do is to get even and to get back at her because I have been wronged so deeply. Pastor asked, he said, well, he said, you're giving her 800 a month. He said, why don't you give her 900 he said, what? He said, yeah. Make it out in two checks. Give her the 800 that the court required. Then give her an additional 100 that just says, here's some extra money for extra expenses. Just do it. He didn't understand why, but he figured he'd follow the pastor's lead and do what he said. So he started doing it. A couple of months go by, his wife calls him. She said, I don't understand why you're doing this. He said, well, he said, I figured you may have some extra expenses. I wanted to take care of you and the children. He said, so I sent an extra $100. Well, all of a sudden, relationship between him and his wife starts to soften. Now, they didn't get back together. He said, he was telling the pastor this later. He said, we're talking. We're working together with, with the children. He said, it's like the lawyers are out of it now. He said, we're able to talk and to be friends, and to be courteous. And he said, you know what, Pastor, most of all, the most important thing? He said, I stopped hating her. He said, I stopped trying to get even with her. You see, Jesus said this. He said, you know what? You may think that you have the right to be comfortable, that you have the right to your cloak, that you have the right to the shirt on your back. That's a right, you know. He said, but really it isn't. He said, if somebody sues you and takes you the shirt off of your back, give them the cloak too. Rather than bitterness and hatred and anger and trying to get even with them, just give it to them. Once again, Jesus said this, you think you have the right to this. I'm telling you, you don't. Give up the right and with it will go the anger, the hatred, and the resentment. Here's the third expectation or right that we think that we have, and that is this. Number three, you need to let go of your right to be free. Wow. Here we are in the United States, the greatest nation in all the world, where freedom and liberty and all of this is, is a basic 
to our being here in this country. And you're telling us that the Bible teaches us to give up our right to be free. Well, let me explain it to you, okay? Verse 41, Matthew 5, verse 41, it says this. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Anyone forces you to go a mile, then you need to go with them two miles. Now, what is that talking about? Well, if you didn't know the custom and the culture and the history of it, you'd read right over that and not understand it. But let me explain it to you. The Romans occupied the known world. They would go in and conquer a country and set up a government there, but they wouldn't take the place of the old government. They'd let the people continue on with their life because the Romans knew that they didn't have the manpower to cover the entire world and they didn't want uprisings. They wanted to assimilate those people into Roman culture. So if you were in charge of, let's say, Jerusalem, which was a Roman outpost, then the the only job you've got is this, keep the peace don't let there be any uprisings or trouble. This is the reason why Pilate and um, Herod, they didn't want any uprisings. This is, you know, Jesus is making trouble, squelch it, you know. And so that's what would take place. And so um, what they would do is if they would go in and, and take control of a, a country or a city or an area, they had certain rules that the soldiers had to abide by. You are not to make it so impossible and so unbearable that the people in that city will rebel. So they had a rule. This is one of their rules for occupation, I guess you'd call it. This, this. You can conscript labor from the people that live in that area to help you do something that needs to be done. Here's a soldier, and he's got to take and load this trailer and take the trailer to the next town. What they did was this. They had a rule that you can demand that a Jew walking by stop what he's doing, help you load the trailer, and take it. But he could only take it for one mile. See, that was the rule. And you couldn't demand them to go any further than that. Otherwise, you're going to push them to such a degree they will rebel. And so Jesus is saying, look, you all know the rules. You know how this works. If somebody compels you to go a mile, go two. If somebody demands, a soldier or anybody else demands that you go and carry this load for this mile, he said, then just take it another one too. Now see, the Jews hated this law. They hated this practice of conscripting them to do service for the Romans. They hated it. Is, you know what? You would too, and I would too. If another nation uh, occupied this country and they could just force you to give up your freedom and what you're planning to do and say, here, come and you have to do this, you would hate it. And they did. Every time a Jew was conscripted into service, what they would do was they would just think of ways to get even, to get revenge. Hatred just welled up inside of them. Jesus is teaching them. He said, now, you know what, you've, been heard, you've heard, you've been told that it's okay to get revenge, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. I'm telling you this. If you get conscripted into taking this load for a mile, you take it too. Why? Well, it's the same thing with the alimony money. You go above what's required, and what you're going to find is that when you give up the right, your heart changes. When you give up what is demanded of you and go further than that, 
that all of a sudden the hatred and the animosity begins to wane. And so, yeah, give up your right to be free, to do what you want to do. Because, guys, I'm going to tell you something. We have this concept here in America that is a God-given right that we be free, that that's biblical. You're going to be hard-pressed to prove that. The Jews rarely were free ever in their history. Paul told the Christians of the first century that Christian slaves were to obey their masters. They weren't free. You see, this idea of a God-given right that we would be free is really not true because you go into any third world country where there are Christians and few of them are free. And yet, God says to you and me in the middle of all that that the gospel spreads and the church grows. But it won't if you demand your rights. If you demand that you have the right to be free and that all else doesn't matter, nobody else matters but you, then the gospel is damaged and the church will never grow. Think with me for a moment. You've worked really hard and saved your money and you've, you're planning to go to a ball game. The tickets are very, very scarce. You can't even get a ticket, but yet you've, got, you've scored tickets. You're going to take your, your, you and your uh, best friend or you and your spouse, you're going to go to the game, and then all of a sudden your boss tells you that there's trouble at work and that it is a mandatory day of work on that Saturday. You have to be there. Where's your freedom? Somebody else is in infringed on your freedom. You can get angry and you can get resentful and you can hate that boss. You can talk about him behind his back and ruin your testimony and your Christian witness. Or you can realize, you know what? Life happens. Things happen. I'm not free and I've got to go to work. It happens all the time. Here's the fourth right that we think that we have and that is this we need to let go of your you need to let go of your right to have possessions you need to let go of your right to have possessions you see we think that we have the right it's god-given that we should have wealth that we should have possessions that we work hard earn our money and get to spend it the way we want to verse 42 jesus said this he said, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Oh, man. You know, you think to yourself, there's so many people that have come up to you over the years and asked to borrow money or needed money or wanted something from you. And let me just say this, that there are times when you have to use discernment because there are times when le- the needs are not legitimate. That's taught in Scripture. Um, There are all kind of needs around us, but not all of them are legitimate. For example, Paul said this. Paul said, if a person doesn't work, then he doesn't eat. Well, wait a minute. Aren't they indeed? He said, yeah, they're in need, but they brought it upon themselves, and they refuse to work. They're lazy, so they don't eat. Don't give them anything. Okay. On the other hand, there are legitimate needs where people are hurting, people don't work, people can't work, people need money, bills are piling up, and they need help. He's looking at legitimate needs here. You're the one that's going to have to determine whether the person is genuinely in need or they're just taking advantage of you. 
But he's saying this, you think that you have the right to keep what you earn and it's all for you. But I'm telling you that there are people in need that you need to be aware of and you need to help. And so there will be times when people ask of you for money. There will be times when you just recognize it. There will be times when the Spirit of God just says you need to take care of this. These are legitimate needs that you need to take care of. And you think to yourself, I'm really getting mad at this person because of them not being able to handle their life any better. I'm really angry at this person because they can't manage things any better. Why do I have to give? I've been saving my money and I've got this idea I'm going to buy a new bass boat. I deserve that. I got this money and I want to go buy a new car. I deserve that. I want to go on vacation because I deserve that. In your heart, you know that God is saying to you, no, you need to help this person. And yeah, resentment can rise up pretty quick because somebody is taking something that you think belongs to you. See, that's my possession. That's my money. And God says, look, you can go through the rest of your life resenting people like that, or you can reach out and help them. Do the right thing. I want to read you this little story. It's kind of humorous, but it illustrates what I'm talking about. This is Chuck Swindoll. He wrote this. He said, I recently read a story about a traveler who between flights at an airport bought a small package of cookies, and then she sat down in a busy snack shop to eat them and to glance over her newspaper. As she read, she became increasingly aware of of a rustling noise. Peeking over her newspaper, she was shocked to see a well-dressed gentleman sitting across from her, helping himself to her cookies. Half angry and half embarrassed, she reached over and she gently slid the package of cookies closer to her as she took one out and began to munch on it. A minute or so passed before she heard more rustling. The man had gotten another cookie. By now, there was only one cookie left in the package. Though beside herself, she didn't want to make a scene, so she said nothing. A minute or so passed before, I'm sorry, finally, as as if to add insult to injury, the man took the last cookie, broke it in half, and pushed one piece across the table to her with a frown on his face. He, sat, he, he gulped down his half and he left without even saying thank you. She sat there dumbfounded. Of all the nerve, this man, taking my cookie. Sometime later when the flight was announced, the woman opened her handbag and got her ticket out. And to her shock, there in her purse was her package of unopened cookies. Somewhere in the airport was another traveler still trying to figure out how that strange woman could have been so forward and insensitive to eat his cookies. Instead of reacting or retaliating, that man, though reluctantly, still gave up what was rightfully his. You get it? He had every right. He bought them. He had every right to have them, possess them, to eat them, to enjoy them. But he didn't. He did. You and I think that we have the right to 
certain possessions because we worked hard to get them. But one day, God may lay claim to them. And God may say to you, you take care of this need or you take care of that need or you take care of that ministry or whatever. And you're going to be in turmoil trying to figure out what to do. And let me just encourage you to do this. Because if you don't want to develop a bitter heart toward an individual or toward God or toward some other person, then give it up. You don't have the right to it. Here's the fifth and final right that you're going you're to have to give up, and that is this. You need to let go of your right to just not care. To just not care. Okay, I understand what you're saying, preacher, and I understand all of this stuff, but I, I want you to understand this, that I have my life over here. I live my life by myself, and I, I've got it all settled and squared away. And I don't want to be bothered with other people's problems and other people's issues and so forth. So I'm going to be over here living my life and not caring about anything else. That way I don't get mad at anybody and nobody gets mad at me. Well, look at this one. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Here's what he says. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. You mean I can't just go over there and live and and leave everybody alone and just be myself and enjoy life? I can't do that? That I now have to go and love people that are unlovable, care about people that I don't like, People who would probably take advantage of me if they had the opportunity. I've got to show kindness and love to those people. And then the people that do hurt me, the people that take advantage of me, the people who would take my cloak, the clothes off my back, I've got to pray for those people. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Well, it's very simple. I can't hate somebody I'm praying for. You see, I can't ignore somebody that I've been commanded to show love to. And here's the remarkable thing about it, guys. And and you and I have got to understand this, that God doesn't just tell you to love people that you like or to love people that are lovable, love people that do things for you. This is where, you know, we, we, we're, we're not allowed to live in an isolated world by ourselves because God says to you and me, that when you see people that have hurt you, people that have abused you, taken advantage of you, and cheated you, that don't respect you and don't like you, those are the people that I want you to be kind to. Those are the people that I want you to pray for. It may not change them. It may not change the relationship, but I'll guarantee you, God says, it'll change you. It really will. And if you can begin to do that, you will change because it is impossible for you to have a vengeful heart toward a person that God has told you to pray for. In Christianity Today, psychiatrist Robert Coles told an amazing story of a girl who had learned to pray for those who were hostile to her. 
Coles was in New Orleans in 1960 when a federal judge ruled that the city's schools must be integrated. A six-year-old girl named Ruby Bridges was the only black child to attend the William T. Friends School. Every day for weeks as she entered and left the building, a mob would be standing outside to scream at her and to threaten her. They shook their fists, shouted obscenities, and threatened to kill her. One day her teacher saw her lips moving as she walked through the crowd, flanked by burly federal marshals. When the teacher told Coles about it, he asked Ruby... He said, "Um, what were you doing? Were you talking to the people? She says, no, I wasn't talking to them, she replied. I was just praying a prayer for them. Coles asked her, why would you do that? (laughs) She said, because I needed praying for. You can't hate or want revenge on a person that you're praying for. And I really want to encourage you that all of these things that we claim that are our rights, that we begin to one by one just give them up and let God change our hearts. Listen to this scripture, this last scripture that I want to share with you, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Here's what he says. Paul said this. He said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. Now watch this. He said, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't have any rights. Oh my gosh, Lord, let us learn this. That outside of what God gives us, we don't have any rights. God says, I bought you and I paid for you with my blood. And now my demand of you is this, that you take your body, your life, and you honor and glorify me. That's all you have to do. And when you honor and glorify me, you need to understand that there's no room for vengeance. Okay? No room for that. Vengeance is mine, he said. Just let me have it. I'll take care of it. But what I demand of you is obedience. So the question then becomes this. Who is it in your life that you're holding a grudge against? Who is it that right now, as you sit there, a a name comes to mind, a face, an image, somebody that you don't like, that you're holding a grudge against, somebody that has wronged you, Somebody that you have thought about over the years of different ways to get back at them. Then as you sit there before God, you need to ask yourself this. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Maybe they disrespected you. That happens. Give it up. Maybe they have put you in a position where they have taken some of your comfort. And they've really stressed out your your entire life. That happens too. Give it up. You're not as free as you thought you would be in order to live life the way you wanted because of something they did to you. 
that happens, give it up. Maybe you don't have possessions or wealth that you would have had had they not done what they did years ago. That happens too. Give it up. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. Because if you don't, you are going to be consumed with hatred and resentment and vengeance. And your Christian testimony will be non-existent. And if you're going to serve God and honor Him with your body, with your life, then you have got to get past that. You have got to let it go. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And as you sit here this morning, you, you need to do some business with God. And if there's somebody that God brings to mind, somebody in your life that you wouldn't say it in public or you know, where anybody could hear you, but yeah, I really might just hate that person. I have resented them for years and yeah, it is eating me up then here's where you need to lay it down. You need to give up your right that's been violated. Give it over to God, realizing that you belong to Him. And just lay it at the cross. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here this morning, Father, I pray for all of us as your church that the roots of bitterness that consume our lives at times would be taken from us. And that, Father, we could just take them and lay them down and never pick them back up again and forgive where forgiveness is needed. To let go of our, our feelings of having been wronged and whatever rights we think that we deserve. And we look at you hanging on the cross for our benefit on our behalf and realize, Father, you had a lot of rights too, but you gave them up. Father, help us to be that kind of a person. A person that looks at the bigger picture. A person that looks at the world through your eyes. A person that looks at the church and the testimony and the witness of the church and says to themselves, I will do my part to further the kingdom of God. And I will not let my personal agenda, my personal needs or personal rights get in the way. But Father, I lay it all down for the bigger picture. Father, help us to be that kind of Christian. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. May you receive all of the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.